0: Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Surprised by Joy, The Shape of My Early Life by C.S. Lewis Chapter 8, Release Epigraph As fortune is wont, at her chosen hour, Whether she sends us solace or sore, The white to whom she shows her power will find that he gets still more and more. From the medieval poem, Pearl, author unknown. A few chapters ago, I warned the reader that the return of joy had introduced into my life a duality which makes it difficult to narrate. Reading through what I have just written about Wyvern, I find myself exclaiming, Lies! Lies! This was really a period of ecstasy. It consisted chiefly of moments when you were too happy to speak, when the gods and heroes rioted through your head, when satyrs danced and maenads roared on the mountains, when Brynhild and Zyglinda, Deirdre, Meva, and Helen were all about you, till sometimes you felt that it might break you with mere richness. And all that is true. There were more leprechauns than fags in that house. I have seen the victories of Cushulain more often than those of the first eleven. Was Borage the head of the call? Or was it Conachar MacNessa? And the world itself, can I have been unhappy, living in paradise? What keen, tingling sunlight there was. The mere smells were enough to make a man tipsy. Cut grass, dew-dabbled mosses, sweet pea, autumn woods, wood burning, peat, salt water. The scents ached. I was sick with desire. That sickness better than health. All this is true, but it does not make the other version a lie. I am telling a story of two lives. They have nothing to do with each other. Oil and vinegar, a river running beside a canal, Jekyll and Hyde. Fix your eye on either, and it claims to be the sole truth. When I remember my outer life, I see clearly that the other is but momentary flashes. Seconds of gold scattered in months of dross each instantly swallowed up in the old, familiar, sordid, hopeless weariness. When I remember my inner life, I see that everything mentioned in the last two chapters was merely a coarse curtain, which at any moment might be drawn aside to reveal all the heavens I then knew. The same duality perplexes the story of my home life, to which I must now turn. Once my brother had left Wyvern, and I had gone to it, the classic period of our boyhood was at an end. Something not so good succeeded it. But this had long been prepared by slow development within the classic age itself. All began, as I have said, with the fact that our father was out of the house from nine in the morning till six at night. From the very first, we built up for ourselves a life that excluded him. He, on his part, demanded a confidence even more boundless, perhaps, than a father usually, or wisely, demands. One instance of this, early in my life, had far-reaching effects. Once when I was at oldies and had just begun to try to live as a Christian, I wrote out a set of rules for myself and put them in my pocket. On the first day of the holidays, noticing that my pockets bulged with all sorts of papers and that my coat was being pulled out of all shape, he plucked out the whole pile of rubbish and began to go through it. boy-like. I WOULD HAVE DIED RATHER THAN LET HIM SEE MY LIST OF GOOD RESOLUTIONS. I MANAGED TO KEEP THEM OUT OF HIS REACH AND GET THEM INTO THE FIRE. I DO NOT SEE THAT EITHER OF US WAS TO BLAME. BUT NEVER FROM THAT MOMENT UNTIL THE HOUR OF HIS DEATH DID I ENTER HIS HOUSE WITHOUT FIRST GOING THROUGH MY OWN POCKETS AND REMOVING ANYTHING THAT I WISHED TO KEEP PRIVATE. A HABIT OF CONCEALMENT WAS THUS bred BEFORE I HAD ANYTHING GUILTY TO CONCEAL. BY NOW I HAD PLENTY. And even what I had no wish to hide, I could not tell. To have told him what Wyvern or even Shart was really like would have been risky, he might write to the headmaster, and intolerably embarrassing. It would also have been impossible, and here I must touch on one of his strangest characteristics. My father, but these words, at the head of a paragraph, will carry the reader's mind inevitably to Tristram Shandy. On second thoughts, I am content that they should... It is only in a Shandian spirit that my matter can be approached. I have to describe something as odd and whimsical as ever entered the brain of Stern. And if I could, I would gladly lead you to the same affection for my father as you have for Tristram's. And now for the thing itself. You will have grasped that my father was no fool. He had even a streak of genius in him. At the same time, he had... When seated in his own armchair after a heavy midday dinner on an August afternoon, with all the windows shut, more power of confusing an issue or taking up a fact wrongly than any man I have ever known. As a result, it was impossible to drive into his head any of the realities of our school life, after which, nevertheless, he repeatedly inquired. The first and simplest barrier to communication was that, having earnestly asked, he did not stay for an answer or forgot at the moment it was uttered some facts must have been asked for and told him on a moderate computation once a week and were received by him each time as perfect novelties but this was the simplest barrier far more often he retained something but something very unlike what you had said his mind so bubbled over with humor sentiment and indignation that long before he had understood or even listened to your words some accidental hint had set his imagination to work. He had produced his own version of the facts and believed that he was getting it from you. As he invariably got proper names wrong, no name seemed to him less probable than another. His textus receptus was often almost unrecognizable. Tell him that a boy called Churchwood had caught a field mouse and kept it as a pet, and a year or ten years later he would ask you, did you ever hear what became of poor chickweed who was so afraid of the rats? For his own version once adopted was indelible and attempts to correct it only produced an incredulous hmm well that's not the story you used to tell sometimes indeed he took in the facts you had stated but truth fared none the better for that what are facts without interpretation it was axiomatic to my father in theory that nothing was said or done from an obvious motive hence he who in his real life was the most honorable and impulsive of men and the easiest victim that any knave or impostor could hope to meet, became a positive Machiavel when he knitted his brows and applied to the behavior of other people. He had never seen the spectral and labyrinthine operation which he called reading between the lines. Once embarked upon that, he might make his landfall anywhere in the wide world and always with unshakable conviction. I see it all. I understand it perfectly. It's as plain as a pike staff, he would say, and then, as we soon learned, he would believe till his dying day in some deadly quarrel, some slight, some secret sorrow, or some immensely complex machination, which was not only improbable, but impossible. Dissent on our part was attributed, with kindly laughter, to our innocence, dullibility, and general ignorance of life. And besides all these confusions, there were the sheer non-secretors when the ground seemed to open at one's feet. Did Shakespeare spell his name with an E at the end? asked my brother. I believe, said I, but my father interrupted. I very much doubt if he used the Italian calligraphy at all. A certain church in Belfast has both a Greek inscription over the door and a curious tower. That church is a great landmark, said I. I can pick it out from all sorts of places even from the top of Cave Hill. Such nonsense, said my father. How could you make out Greek letters three or four miles away? One conversation, held several years later, may be recorded as a specimen of these continual cross-purposes. My brother had been speaking of a reunion dinner for the officers of the Nth Division, which he had lately attended. I suppose your friend Collins was there, said my father. Brother, Collins? Oh, no. He wasn't in the nth, you know. Father, after a pause. Did these fellows not like Collins, then? Brother, I don't quite understand. What fellows? Father, the Johnnies that got up the dinner. Brother, oh no, not at all. It was nothing to do with liking or not liking. You see, it was a purely divisional affair. There'd be no questions of asking anyone who hadn't been in the nth. Father, after a long pause. Hmm... Well, I'm sure poor Collins was very much hurt. There are situations in which the very genius of filial piety would find it difficult not to let some sign of impatience escape him. I would not commit the sin of Ham, nor would I, as historian, reduce a complex carrier to a false simplicity. The man who, in his armchair, sometimes appeared not so much incapable of understanding anything, as determined to misunderstand everything, was formidable in the police court, and, I presume, efficient in his office. He was a humorist, even, on occasional wit. When he was dying, the pretty nurse rallying him said, What an old pessimist you are. You're just like my father. I suppose, replied her patient, he has several daughters, the hours my father spent at home were thus hours of perplexity for us boys. After an evening of the sort of conversation I had been describing, one felt as if one's head were spinning like a top. His presence put an end to all our innocence as well as to all our forbidden occupations. It is a hard thing, nay, a wicked thing, when a man is felt to be an intruder in his own house. And yet, as Johnson said, sensation is sensation. I am sure it was not his fault. I believe much of it was ours. What is certain is that I increasingly found it oppressive to be with him. One of his most amiable qualities helped to make it so. I have said before that he conned no state. Except during his Philippics, he treated us as equals. The theory was that we lived together more like three brothers than like a father and two sons. That, I say, was the theory. But of course it was not and could not be so. Indeed, ought not to have been so. That relation cannot really exist between schoolboys and a middle-aged man of overwhelming personality and of habits utterly unlike theirs. And the pretense that it does ends by putting a curious strain on the juniors. Chesterton has laid his finger on the weak point of all such factitious equality. If a boy's aunts are his pals, will it not soon follow that a boy needs no pals but his aunts? That was not, of course, the question for us. We wanted no pals, but we did want liberty, if only liberty to walk about the house. And my father's theory, that we were three boys together, actually meant that while he was at home, we were as closely bound to his presence as if the three of us had been chained together, and all our habits were frustrated. Thus, if my father came home unexpectedly, at midday, having allowed himself an extra half-holiday, he might, if it were summer, find us with chairs and books in the garden an austere parent of the former school, would have gone into his own adult occupations. Not so my father. Sitting in the garden? An excellent idea. But would not all three of us be better on the summer seat? Thither, after he had assumed one of his light spring overcoats, we would go. I do not know how many overcoats he had. I am still wearing two of them. After sitting for a few minutes thus clad on a shadeless seat where the noonday sun was blistering the paint, he not unnaturally began to perspire. I don't know what you two think, he would say, but I'm finding this almost too hot. What about moving indoors? That meant an adjournment to the study, where even the smallest chink of open window was rather grudgingly allowed. I say, allowed, but there was no question of authority. In theory, everything was decided by the general will. Liberty Hall, boys, Liberty Hall, as he delighted to quote, What time would you like lunch? But we knew only too well that the meal which would otherwise have been at one had already been shifted, in obedience to his lifelong preference, to two or even two-thirty, and that the cold meats which we liked had already been withdrawn in favor of the only food our father ever voluntarily ate, hot butcher's meat, boiled, stewed, or roast, and this to be eaten in mid-afternoon in a dining room that faced south, for the whole of the rest of the day. Whether sitting or walking, we were inseparable. And the speech, you see that it could hardly be called conversation. The speech, with its cross purposes, with its tone, inevitably, always set by him, continued intermittently till bedtime. I should be worse than a dog if I blamed my lonely father for thus desiring the friendship of his sons, or even if the miserable return I made him did not, to this day, lie heavy on my conscience. But sensation is sensation. It was extraordinarily tiring, and in my own contributions to these endless talks, which were indeed too adult for me, too anecdotal, too prevailingly jocular, I was increasingly aware of an artificiality. The anecdotes were, indeed, admirable in their kind. Business stories, Mahaffey stories, many of which I found attached to Jowett at Oxford, stories of ingenious swindles, social blunders, police court drunks, but... I was acting when I responded to them. Drollery, whimsicality, the kind of humor that borders on the fantastic was my line. I had to act. My father's geniality and my own furtive disobediences both helped to drive me into hypocrisy. I could not be myself when he was at home. God forgive me. I thought Monday morning when he went back to his work, the brightest jewel in the week. Such was the situation which developed during the classic period. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn turn will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right.